This morning we come to a place in our journey through the Gospel according to Mark where we're at the end of a, a, a section. It has been a section of, of questions being asked. Uh, most of the time it's questions being brought by those around Jesus, whether it's His close disciples who wanted to know at one point, which among us is the greatest? And they would ask that question, or actually, they never dared ask it, even though it was on their hearts and minds. And Jesus spoke about that. There were those that came and said, is it lawful to divorce? They said, how do we find eternal life? They asked the question, is it right to pay taxes to the government or not? Question after question. Today, there's one last question that will come to Jesus and finalize this section of people trying to see where Jesus is at. Some, most of them that are opposed to Jesus had nothing in mind but to trip Him up and trap Him. Today, in the conclusion of this section here, there's a different mindset behind it. And that's where we'll pick up our reading today as we read from Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 28. Hear the word of the Lord. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus said, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe, the one that asked the question, said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that, he answered wisely. He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And God grant us wisdom today as we meditate on this. One of the assignments that I had uh, in seminary uh, early on was uh, to outline books of the Bible. Uh, that was very interesting for me. Uh, it was also quite a bit of a challenge because... When you, when you would open your Bible, almost every Bible that I know of has this. 
when when I look at when I look at mine here, um, there's a section heading uh, throughout each chapter. So I would have to set those things aside, otherwise I would be influenced by somebody else's idea of what's being said in this particular section. There's also, in many uh, study Bibles, an outline already for every book of Scripture. And so I had to make sure I wasn't looking at somebody else's outline that's already been created. So I took Scripture and I copied it. Uh, and I removed all of the headings. I left the paragraphs in place. But I had to read through that book, whichever one it was, and read it and find out where the thoughts of the writer are changing. And then summarize what I thought that previous uh, section had to say. I did that with uh, different books of the Bible. Daniel, Obadiah, Haggai, Nehemiah, Philemon, Hebrews, and Luke. When I did when I did the uh, book of when I did the book of Obadiah and I I outlined that it was uh, five Roman numerals total with a total of six subpoints. Obadiah is uh, just a uh, one chapter book. And so I was able to easily and quickly uh, summarize that on about a half a page of paper with not very many words. Other books were a bit more challenging. Luke, by contrast, uh, being a much longer book than the book of Obadiah, took me Six pages to outline the book of Luke. And I remember when I finished my outline of the book of Luke, my teacher's going to think I'm absolutely nuts for coming up with six pages of an outline for one book of Scripture. I did it in the same way. I, I took all of the other references out of the text and I read through the entire thing from beginning to end and then went back through again and read and paid attention to where the changes were and I would make a mark on my paper and then I would summarize that area. By contrast, again, to my summary of my outline of the book of Obadiah, uh, I have 12 Roman numerals, which for the length of the book um, doesn't say much, but uh, in my seventh point, which covered the chapters of uh, 9, verse 43b, mind you, through chapter 18, verse 30, I have, well, this is where I thought for sure the teacher is going to think I'm nuts. My subpoints, Roman numeral 7, subpoint A, B, C, D, E. You know what? I ran out after Z. I ran out of regular letters of the alphabet. So I went after Z, it was uh, A, A, and then a, uh, B, B, and C, C. And I got all the way back through H, H on one section. I say all that to, 
tell you that it is a good exercise to be able to look at Scripture not just through what somebody else directs you to, but in a way that the Spirit leads you and to see what God is saying about that as you explore the Word of God with the Spirit of God. Jesus is at this place now where He's being engaged with another scribe. Jesus would would be a comparable equal, at least in the fact that He is very knowledgeable uh, and uh, superior in that as well. But if the scribe knows Scripture, Jesus does as well. Just like if the Pharisees do, Jesus does. So they, they come trying to challenge one that they think is a peer. But they, they all have had this practice, and it's been the normal way of the scribes and the Pharisees for each of them to, at some point, summarize the greatest teaching of Scripture. What, what do you hang on to? What, if you could put it into a nutshell, how would you? And people have used, the scribes and the Pharisees have used different passages of Scripture in their response. So what was happening here for Jesus was just part of what would have gone on at a different time anyway in that culture uh, among those men. So the scribe says, Jesus, how would you summarize Scripture and what weight would you put to it by, by the command that you would reference? What he's asking there, um, and the way Jesus is answering this, is not um, which one could you obey without having to worry about the rest. Sometimes there were those kinds of people that would try to uh, say, well, if you do this one, this is more important than doing that one. They would rank them. Jesus isn't giving an answer based on rank. Jesus is giving his answer from a different perspective. With the, with the Pharisees, they had 613 different uh, laws that, and commandments that they thought people needed to, to obey. And they would pull from that list of 613 when they would give their response. So Jesus gives his, but he doesn't give it a rank like maybe some of them would have. It's not as if the rest of them are unimportant because Jesus would say on his Sermon on the Mount, not the least stroke of the pen that's in the law is going to disappear. It's all important. And I've come to fulfill it all completely. But I'm going to give you the most significant and all-encompassing commandment that Scripture has for us. Jesus said at the, at the beginning of that, as he's, as he's explaining to him, the Lord is one. He's, he's referencing, obviously, the Shema from the, from the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's where he goes back to. This comes from the book of Deuteronomy. This is right after the second giving of the law to the new generation that are going to be entering into the promised land. And after, after this uh, 
new law, after the, the law is reiterated to a, 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 this new people, the generation that made it through the wilderness, at the end of that law, God summarized it back then in, with these words that Jesus quotes. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's been the, the issue all along. They have lived among people that have gods all around them and many of them have many gods around them. And again, as we read from Jeremiah, the foolishness of the gods of those days were, it should have been absolutely clear. It would be like you and I uh, today, if we would follow what was happening there, we would go to the lumber store and we would buy this big uh, piece of lumber, a big supply of lumber, and we would carefully craft that and everything, and we would glue it together and nail it and screw it and everything else and, and put it up, and maybe we'd fasten it to the ground and everything. And at the end of our creation of that, we would bow down to it and say, you created me. And that was the foolishness that Jesus knew was still in his day and that has always been a part of uh, those around the people of Israel and even Israel themselves falling prey to that very idea. Even when, even when uh, they build the golden calf and say, here's the one we ought to follow. Here's your leader. Jesus says the Lord is one. There are not many. There are not many that you could say, this one is also God. This one is also the Lord over things, over all things, or over just some things. There is only one Lord, and He has created all things. He is the one that created the things that people would use to build the gods that they think are superior to them. Then Jesus says those words that we're very familiar with and that is our challenge uh, for every generation, every, every new believer, every one that says they follow Christ needs to wrestle with this command. Love the Lord your God with everything. Everything. There's not some part of my life that I can say, you know, I do really well in these areas of my life. Uh, every Sunday I come to church and I, and I bring the Word of God and uh, during the week I'm, um, I'm uh, talking with people, I'm, I'm studying the Word again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the life that's going on around us and how the Word of God comes to bear on all that. Uh, but there are certain areas of my life that are reserved for me. Uh, those are my domain. Those are the things that I have control over. Those are the things that I get to decide how to do those things. That, that's, that isn't the way it, it truly is. We, we tend to think that way at times. But there is no part of my life that doesn't belong to the Lord. There isn't any part of any Christian's life that doesn't fall squarely in His domain, in His sovereignty. Love the Lord your God with everything. With all your heart. With all your soul. These, these things that are what makes us up. The things that characterize who we are in our very spirit. 
Not what you see on the outside, but what is truly on the inside. Love Him with all your heart and with all your soul. It doesn't belong to anybody else. Even when, even when there were times when angels would appear before the people of God and the angel would speak some uh, amazing revelation from God and the people would bow down before the angel and the angel would say, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't give me your glory. I don't deserve it. Your heart and soul belong to no one else but God alone. The very core of who you are is wholly His. You should love the Lord your God with all your mind. We take captive every thought to the will of Jesus Christ so that everything that our mind processes comes back under the authority of the Word of God. We don't get to decide in certain areas of life or at certain times of life to make a decision outside of the will of God because that doesn't work well. I've tried. You've tried. And it's never worked. We think it works at a time or for a time to reserve part of our way of thinking for something other than where God would inform us. But our entire mind, our entire intellect, uh, our entire thought process is to be holy towards God. Our entire mind. And with all your strength, All your strength. Every bit of energy that we have needs to be represented in what we're doing for the name of our God. Maybe that gets a little bit harder on the daily thing when you're talking about all your strength going towards God. But if, you, if you're working out in your yard, perhaps, does that count as all my strength towards God? But if I do that, would I do that so that I take care of what He's put in charge, put me in charge of for this time? Does, my, the, does the way I care for uh, what God has given me, and I do that with everything I have, does that also then reflect that all my strength goes back to God? I do this because He's given it to me and I care for it. All of my strength in every day continues to be the call for us. It's no wonder Jesus chose this as the top one because He's asking for everything. Anybody else that would put a different command other than this in there would allow you to take a step back and say, well, I could do that. If do not murder is the top command, and certainly there's enough murder going on in this world today where if people would listen to that command, the world would improve to some degree. But if it doesn't come from a, from a heart and soul and mind and strength that is holy towards God, it's just one piece of it. 
So if you and I could say, well, I've never murdered, and that, I think, is the most important thing, but, well, see, the Pharisees did that too. And Jesus corrected them and said, you know, it really goes back to your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, because if you hate your brother, if your heart and your soul are against him, and in your thinking you think you can get away with hatred, and you expend all that strength on hating your brother or sister, You're just as guilty of murder. And so Jesus encapsulates everything, not as the one that ranks above them all, but the one that encompasses them all. And he said there's another one. Jesus, in his sovereignty, gets to give two. Give us the top command. And Jesus said, here's the top and here's the next. Because you can't have one without the other. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. The way you would show your love for God is the way it works itself out in those around you that are called by His name, that are created in His his image. You cannot love your neighbor and hate God. It doesn't work. It is putting something else more important above God. So it has to come from this love of God first in the way that we would work it out with one another. We would always make sure that we are cared for, that our daily needs are met. We're not meant to injure ourselves or abuse ourselves, and we wouldn't do that to other people either. We're not meant to put ourselves down so we wouldn't put others down. Jesus summarizes all of Scripture with those two commands. And here in Mark, Mark gives the the most detail to the story. Odd for Mark. Mark is the condensed version of most of the rest of the Gospels. But here in this section, when the question comes up, this is the lengthiest answer recorded. Matthew's isn't quite as long. Luke has one line. But Jesus summarizes the question for the man that's asking with those two commands. Give God your love from everything that you are and love your neighbor as you love yourself. What's interesting this time in this question is that the scribe agrees with Jesus. Something's different in this man's response than all the other ones. Even when it comes to the disciples asking questions, they usually walk away with their tail between their legs when Jesus has shown the error of their thinking. But this man doesn't seem to be trapping Jesus or doesn't see that he has had even the remotest possibility of doing that based on Jesus' answer. When he heard them, Jesus talking with the group just before, and he heard how well Jesus gave an answer, he wanted to know something that was important for him. And when Jesus got done, the scribe was amazed. You've answered correctly. As if Jesus needed somebody else to verify his word. But he agreed with it. 
It would, it would be like us at the end of hearing the Word of God giving our amen to that. I agree with what the Word of God says. And that's what this man did. He agrees with him. Notice how he does that. He said, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. And there is no other besides him. He focuses on that beginning part. The Lord is one. There aren't many. And there isn't any other. And he picks up on that. Typically when we hear this command, whether it's from the Shema or whether it's here that Jesus reiterates that, we focus on to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And the first thing he picked up on was where Jesus started. The Lord is one and there is no other. That was important for that man to hear and acknowledge. There is only one true God. But he goes on. And this is what I think is uh, evidence of his uh, understanding what Jesus is saying. In verse 33, he said, And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength. So he, he encapsulated all four things into three others or three different ways of putting it, but truly understanding what Jesus was saying. If you love him with everything you have, is much more, and to love one neighbor as yourself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Jesus never said anything about that. In Jesus' response to him, he didn't talk about giving a sacrifice or making an offering or anything like that. But the man understood what was being said. And he understood as a scribe what the Word of God says. God was always asking for sacrifices. Always asking for them to bring an offering. But God got so worn out by people that, whose hearts were uh, dedicated one way and their, their actions were another. They weren't living out what they were professing. Their actions didn't meet their words. And so they, they came to this place of hypocrisy. And the, the scribe that stands before him and, and echoes the words of Jesus adds that part to it. It doesn't matter what rituals we do on a daily or weekly basis in our lives. To love God above everything else is more important than every offering that we could give. It is the way we, we do things. And this man understood. It isn't the routines. It isn't our rituals. It isn't those things that we try to do as an obligation. Even when God calls us to do that, if our heart is not in it, it means nothing. And he answered correctly. Jesus saw the great answer from the man and he made a pronouncement. Did you hear what he said though? He didn't say you have understood the law well. Good answer, scribe. You caught what I said. Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. In his understanding of what Jesus was saying to him, he was now that close.
to the kingdom of God. You are not far. What he needed to do was put his knowledge into action. Once you know what God calls you to do, the next thing to do is to put that into action. And Jesus Jesus invites him into the kingdom. You are standing right at the edge. Now I want to back up. Contained in Jesus' response that he quotes from the Shema was a significant command that we are not to overlook. Hear, O Israel. We get so used to Scripture at times that we skip over some of the things that ought to just grab our attention every time. But with our familiarity with the Word of God, we tend to overlook things. When God said that through Moses, it was a call for the people of God to listen to the voice of God and none other. Hear, O Israel. Listen, O Verisal CRC. Listen to the Word of God. There is no other voice that you and I need to listen to. Every other voice that we would hear, we need to put uh, under the, the authority of Scripture by using our minds, examining our hearts, and see how what is being said around us matches up with that. There is this constant command throughout all of Scripture for God's people to listen to the Word of God. And now Jesus is doing that, standing in the flesh before them. Listen to the Word of God. As He quotes from the written, He stands there as the living. When, when at Jesus' baptism, the clouds open up, and this is My Son, listen to Him. Or at the, at the transfiguration, Listen to my son. He is God in the flesh. He is the Word of God. Scripture is full of places where we're called back to listen to the Word of God. We're in the book of Jeremiah now in our reading through Scripture. And you will catch in there at different times that call for them to remember to listen to what God has said. In the book of Leviticus chapter 26, when God lays out the blessings for His people, if you listen to what I say and you follow my commands, if you follow the plan that I have for you, all of these great blessings will continue to be yours. But if you will not listen, He goes on to say, and He spends extra time in making sure that we know how important it is for us to listen. If you will not listen, even after all this happens, one of the things that we need to be doing right now and always in our world, whenever there is great uh, turmoil in the world, is to reevaluate and say, what is my response to get back to the Word of God, to put life in perspective from His Word? Because 
there are enough times where Scripture has said, I sent this to you so you would turn back to me. And he wants us to listen to those things. Here, O Israel, was a foundational part of what Jesus had just said. And then it went on to the rest of it. The Lord is one. And love Him with all your heart. And love your neighbor, uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Everything, Matthew says, the whole of the law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament, hinges on that command. It is the foundation of everything. And Paul would say in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, he would, he would bring that idea back around. He would reiterate how important it is to understand what is the foundation. He said in 1 Corinthians 3.10, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Jesus was the answer for that man that day. Jesus was the answer for every Pharisee and every Sadducee and all the Roman officials that were trying to capture him, trip him up, and put him to death. Jesus stood there as the answer. He is the living Word of God. He is God in the flesh. And Jesus is the foundation of everything as He stands representative of the written Word and is still the living Word of God today. Amen. Jesus, we are here to acknowledge before You today that what You have said is true. We don't give it truth by acknowledging that. We acknowledge its truth because it is. We are here today to live in response to what we have heard. To live out that same call. To listen to the Word that You have given to us. The Word that has been preserved for us. To listen to what You have said and make those our foundations for every way in which we would act in our world today. And so we pray... Holy Spirit, that You would give us the courage to speak words of life, words of hope, true words, and not get caught up in uh, fighting skirmishes on things that will ultimately be done away with, but point people back to the foundation of everything. So give us strength, Holy Spirit, as we do that, as you place people in our paths day by day to speak those words. And we ask, Father, that through our lives, in the way that we have chosen to respond now to this portion of your word, that through our lives, 
through us and through Christ in us, you would be glorified in all things. That is our prayer. And we openly give that to you today. In the help of Jesus' name, in which we pray. Amen.